We left on Friday. Friday. Friday was the day that we looked at Christ's crucifixion. Friday was, was the day we tried to understand all that Jesus went through on the cross. But on Friday, when we as a community gathered, we, we left silently, even tearfully. The mutilated body of Jesus, the son of suffering, was laying in a tomb. Very few folks have ever experienced the torture that Jesus endured. He was betrayed and mocked and scourged and hung on a cross for about six hours. Perhaps the greatest suffering of all is something we find hard to relate to, but it was when God laid our sin And Jesus, the weight of that sin was excruciating. And the agony of the separation between God and Jesus was horrific. Christ's friends and disciples had just witnessed a huge miscarriage of justice. Perhaps the greatest one of all time. They experienced the betrayal and heard the reports of the trials. They saw the results of the beatings and they witnessed the crucifixion. Nobody deserved to be treated like this, especially Jesus. These disciples and followers, they they had spent three years with Jesus. They did life with Jesus. They saw his healing touch. They heard his message of hope. They experienced his mighty miracles. But they also observed the jealousies and the hatred of the religious community, which eventually led to the cross. And now the tomb where Jesus was laying. I can only imagine that Christ's followers were feeling numb on Friday as the stone was placed in front of the grave. Did they sleep at all that night? And and what about Saturday? Did you ever think about Saturday? It had to be long. It was probably filled with tears. Perhaps some gratitude for the time they had with Jesus, but I think just mostly sad. Certainly there was confusion. Their minds had to have been racing. They felt leaderless. Every time they had a problem, they would go to Jesus. Anytime they needed direction, they would go to Jesus. Anytime they, well, needed anything they would go to the rabbi and Jesus would guide and direct. They were amazed at Jesus. So when Saturday night came, Saturday night had to feel like forever. Let's pray. 
God, we're going to retell a story. A well-documented story, but it's a, it's a story so many of us, if not all of us, have heard dozens of times. In some ways, we wonder why it's so special. In some ways, we look over the centuries where Christians have celebrated this resurrection. They've been excited about it. It is a time to celebrate life. But God, what makes this day so special? Why is it so important that we understand Jesus' resurrection? We ask, dear God, that you would teach us. We ask that my words would be your words, that they wouldn't be confusing. And that we would be able to understand who you are that we might embrace your love and celebrate the resurrection. We love you, Lord. We do. And pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. But something happened. Something happened early on Sunday morning. The son of suffering The king of kings who was laid in a tomb. (laughs) Things began to go a little bit different than the soldiers had planned. This story is told in all four of the gospels. In Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. The guys that wrote Jesus' history. So it was pretty significant. What I'd like to do, though, is read from Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or you can just um, follow along on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1. But early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead For one who is alive. He he isn't here. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. That the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified. And that he would rise on the third day. Then they remembered what he had said. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. They came to the tomb and the stone had been rolled away. They thought maybe at first, well, we have spices and whoever rolled the stone away, that would be great. Now we can add the fragrance to the dead body. We can do our embalming, shall we say. 
And so they rush right in. And nobody's there. They look around. And these angels show up. And and they're at this moment afraid and petrified and in wonder. What is going on? What's happening? Well, this miracle ignited the disciples. And the news of it spread like wildfire. This risen Savior began showing up and meeting with people all over. In fact, met with over 500 people before he returned to his father. The story of God's grace spread. The Spirit arrived. And the church was born. Now, the resurrection of Jesus is a well-documented miracle. But more than that, it is critical to a believer's faith. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, a group of believers meeting in Corinth about 20 years after Jesus was raised from the dead. So even when he wrote this, there were still plenty of folks who were alive, plenty of folks who were a member plenty of folks who saw. So you can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to start reading at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. And this is what Paul writes. I passed on to you what was most important, and I just want to stop there for a moment. But Paul is a teacher, Paul is a pastor, Paul is a church planner, and he had been spending time with this church, and he wanted just to remind him, said, hey, you know, there's some things I teach you, but this is really important. I learned it, and I'm passing it on to you. And this is what he said. The important thing is, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of them are still alive, although some have died. Paul said it's important to know that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day. Technically, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is foundational for all believers. Let's start with the first phrase. The man, Jesus Christ, died for our sins. Well, the truth is, uh, a crowd this large, every one of us have a little bit different perspective of what sin is. We look at what the Bible calls sin, And some of us believe, well, that's kind of archaic. Like, really? Does God really expect us not to do certain things in our culture, in our day and age? But the Bible says all mankind has sinned. We've broken God's laws. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we're all sinners, everyone, and everyone is lost. 
Now, sin is not sort of bad to God. Sin is heinous. Yes, certain sin has greater consequences, but all sin hurts you and all sin hurts others. God also is not sort of holy. He is holy. God in sin cannot coexist. Therefore, if we're sinners and God is holy, we've got a problem. Because God wants to have a relationship with us. God desires to have intimacy with us. But if we're sinners, and he is without sin, and he cannot exist with sin, we need a solution. So this is what God did. In John chapter 3, verse 16, John said that God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent his son, Jesus. What did he send Jesus to do? What was Jesus' mission? Jesus' mission was to seek and to save the lost, those who, well, have sin in their lives, which is everybody. The Bible calls it propitiation. It's been part of our church. That's a really big word, and, and we're not trying to scare anybody. But really, Jesus became our propitiation, our sacrifice. Let me explain this just a little bit more. God required a perfect, sinless, sacrificial lamb to take care of sin. God loved us and sent Jesus, who was a perfect human being, listening to God in every respect, to pay our debt, to go to the cross, to spread his arms, to spill his blood as the perfect, sinless lamb of God. And he did that because none of us could do it, because none of us are sinless. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul writes this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be our sin, or to be the offering for our sin, to take on our rebelliousness, so that we might be made right with God through Christ. Now, the second part of this important statement that Paul wanted all of us to understand was that the man Jesus was buried and raised to life. Christ's death paid the debt for our sin, and his resurrection conquered sin's death grip in our lives. Christ was raised from the dead, defeating sin's stronghold. And the wages or all of sin produces death. Now, Paul writes this, and and it's kind of encouraging. In Romans chapter 6, he wrote again to a group of Christians, a group of believers, trying to encourage them in their journey. And he writes this in Romans 6, starting in verse 5. Paul says, since we've been united with him in Christ, in other words, those who have put their faith in Jesus... When Jesus died, we were united with Jesus. 
we also will be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for we died with Christ and we are set free from the power of sin and since we died with Christ, we know we can also live with him. This sin thing can be taken care of. In Romans chapter 8, he continues and writes this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. You are never going to be punished for your sin. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we as sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. The resurrection is the necessary action showing that Christ has completely and decisively conquered sin and death. It means we can have fellowship with God. It means we can enjoy God for all of eternity. Now, these are wonderful truths, but only some great facts about a loving God unless we believe. Unless we add faith, it is our faith in Jesus that saves us. I started off just a little while ago quoting from John 3, but I didn't finish the verse. John writes, for God's soul of the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish. Everyone who puts their faith in what Christ did on the cross, everyone who believes that Jesus was our perfect sacrifice, that we are lost and that we need a savior, the Bible there tells us, well, you can have life eternal life. Later on in that chapter, John writes, and anyone, anyone, no matter where you come from, what your background is, who believes in God's Son has eternal life. In Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 9, this is what Paul writes, trying to again explain this amazing, well, blessing offered to everyone. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, that he's your master, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You've passed from death unto life. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. You are made holy. That the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from sin so that you can have communication and relationship with the Almighty God. And this is openly declared, or, the, or, or it may be openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now what does faith mean? And again, very basically, faith means this, is that you 
And I recognize we are sinners, recognize we are lost, recognize we are drowning, recognize we need a Savior, we need to be rescued. Because by ourselves, we can't rescue ourselves. The scriptures say that we need to repent. We need to think differently. We need to change our thinking. It is not about our works. It is not trying to be good enough. It's not hoping that God marks on a curve. It's recognizing that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through him. So you believe. You put your faith in Jesus that Jesus died on the cross to pay our penalty. And that Jesus was raised from the dead, conquering sin and death forever. And when you put your faith in Jesus, when you trust him, the Bible says you're a son of God, a daughter of God forever. Forever. Now Paul continues um, to talk about why the resurrection is pretty important just a little bit further. In 1 Corinthians, we've already been reading there, but we're going to go to verse 17. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, as Paul continues his thoughts on the resurrection. He says this, and if Christ has not been raised then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Jesus, they're lost. Oh. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. Paul is saying that the resurrection of the man Jesus Christ is so important that the gospel is a joke if it didn't happen. Specifically, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, your faith is useless. Why go to church? Why call yourself a Christian? If the resurrection didn't happen, you are guilty of your sins. There's no payment for your sins. There's no hope for you. You will not only be separated from God now, but for eternity. And lastly, if there was no resurrection, all those who have died, they are lost. There's no hope for them. But then Paul sets up a great finale. And and he's being a little bit sarcastic there, as you can tell. But this is what he says in verse 19. All right? It's the last part of that on the screen. And he says, if our hope in Christ, or let me put it this way, if obeying God And walking with God is so terrific in this life, which it is. Being intimate with God is awesome, knowing that he walks with you in spite of all of our circumstances. It says, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, just while you're here for the 60, 70, 80 years, which is wonderful, If that's the case, you really need to be pitied, even though it's good. You go, why? 
Look at verse 20. The fact is, Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead and he is the first of a great harvest of all those who have died. Jump down to verse 23. But there's an order in this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Jesus or Christ will be raised when he comes back. What Paul is saying this, it's wonderful to walk with God. It's wonderful to have your sins forgiven. It is wonderful to have this intimacy. And we hope all of you have this and grow in this journey. But he also says this, it is nothing, even though that's great, compared to what is going to happen. Christ is the first fruits. Or in a different way, we could say Christ is the first of a great harvest of resurrected children of God. All those who are of faith will be resurrected and live forever with Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. What Paul is saying is this. Walking and living with God is awesome. But it ain't nothing compared to when you get resurrected. Do do you have any idea what eternity is? Do you have any idea how wonderful life is going to be living with Jesus forever? The broken bodies that we have will be healed. There won't be tears. There's going to be Well, no need for the sun because it will be brightness. We won't have the relational problems that we have. We won't have the discouraging times. And Paul is trying to share with us the resurrection was so amazing, so wonderful because it tells us what's going to happen to us. What's going to happen to us? So what Paul really is saying is, so your faith does count. Your sins are forgiven. And all those believers who died trust in Jesus. They're not lost. They are enjoying eternity now. (laughs) Christ's resurrection was a miracle. It was. No doubt. The man, Christ Jesus, the son of suffering, triumphed over sin and was raised to give all those who are of faith hope. Hope. Hope now, which is really good. That's the hope of enjoying a daily relationship with God, of doing life with a friend forever who talks with you and guides you and encourages you and strengthens you. That's great. But what is more, better? Oh boy, that's terrible English. What is better than that? All right, way better than that? Is that someday all those of faith will be resurrected like Jesus and will spend eternity with him. Let me give you a secret. This is God's grace. (laughs) I don't deserve it. 
And you don't deserve it. You, you don't. But that is God's grace. He loved you. He came to this planet as a man. Modeled for us what it looks like to walk with a Savior, with God as our Savior. And to be able to give truth and hope. And leaving us with a promise. <laughs> you will be resurrected. God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we're overwhelmed by your grace. We are. We don't get it. We don't deserve it. We, we're kind of ornery at times. We want to live our lives in our own way. We don't want to listen to you. We don't want to submit to you because, well, we don't know you. But God, you do love us and you care for us and you desire for us to be part of your family and to listen to you and to understand all that you have for us here, now, and eventually when we close our eyes. God, you shared with us that our minds can't even comprehend all that you have for us in the future. We're so limited in our understanding. But thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for going to the cross. And thank you, Father, for showing us what life is going to look like once you come back. We are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond together.